in 22 years of dealing with this, I really only ever encountered one doctor who even bothered to spend time explaining this disease and that it was up to me to solve it and that it was solvable. Now, I only saw her twice before she moved out of state, but I got to tell you, I still value our sessions together. She planted the seeds 10 years ago that are really bearing fruit with me today. So I'm always going to appreciate that. Hi, and welcome to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast. I'm Tom, and I'll be your host as I share what I'm doing in my daily life to solve my type 2 diabetes. Listen in as I share the food, movement, and tools that I'm using each day. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. For a full transcript or to follow the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast on social media, please head over to SolvingType2Diabetes.com for all those links and more. Now, on to the show. Welcome to this week's episode of Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast. I certainly hope you had a great week. We've really had a great week here. We're currently staying at Disney's Vero Beach Resort, and it is, I call it a green paradise. It's Disney's resort right on the beach. We're staying in a one-bedroom villa, and everywhere you look, it's just lush, green, tropical. Yeah, it's just very, very nice. Uh, You might be hearing the waves actually crashing uh, in the background. We're only, if I look over there, we're about 150 feet from the beach here where we're staying, and they have lots and lots of amenities here to offer. Now, this is not a Disney or a travel podcast, but I just really want to describe what it's like here because we're having a beautiful time. We've been here before. We've been here maybe, I don't know, since 2005. We try and come every year. Now, we've missed a couple of years, but mostly for about 17 years, we've been coming here every single year. And actually, they have a tremendous pool area. They have a big slide that we all like. It's been a few years since I went down the slide, but it is really nice. They have a little miniature golf course that's fun. Uh, It's really well-maintained. They have a shuffleboard. They even set up like a bocce ball court. They have cornhole, if you're into that. They have bikes to rent in the pool area. They have floaties and, you know, life vests for the kids. They have pool noodles to relax if you're an adult that just wants to hang out by the pool and not have to work too hard to float. They have a campfire area where they uh, show movies or actually sing songs around the campfire in the evenings and roast marshmallows, which I think is really nice. And across the way there, they have uh, tennis courts and a pond area, like a nature walk type thing. But I guess the biggest attraction is the beach itself. And uh, it's right on the beach. Disney, I guess, has about a quarter mile beachfront. And there's public beaches on either side, but you can look up and down the coast uh, for miles. And uh, it's great for walking out there in the sand, looking for shark's teeth, which is something we really like to do. It's just a super area, very relaxing to stay. And it's uh, nice in that, for example, our villa has a uh, full kitchen. That's helpful. And they do have restaurants here on site. They have regular sit-down restaurant, plus they have a marketplace where you can get made-to-order salads and sandwiches and stuff like that. They have the cabin green room, which is great for a cocktail in the evening or even serve breakfast sandwiches uh, in the morning. So just a a fun place all around. We have been dealing with a little bit of summer heat. It's been 88 to 90 every day. And we do get South Florida 
late afternoon tropical thunderstorms almost every day this type of year. We've had, I'd say, in the evenings, maybe starting around 5, lasting till about 8. We've had some pretty heavy downpours every day. So we just know that get your outdoor activities done before they hit, and you're good to go from there. The other thing I did this week was get my COVID bivalent booster shot. Type 2 diabetes is a risk factor for complications with COVID. Figured we get that out of the way. And here's a little sneak preview, but we're going on a cruise next week. And uh, in fact, we're going on one the week after too. So I figured, why not? Let's just get that booster. I guess that makes a total of five shots for me so far. I think we're pretty well vaxxed up on that. Let's look at my week in review. Each week, I want to share with you the things I track and the numbers. And for this week, I have closed my Apple Watch rings each of the seven days. There's a ring for movement, a ring for exercise, and a ring for standing. And those are all closed, which is great. And so far, uh, I mean, it's only mid-month, but it looks like September might be a perfect month of closing rings every day. So don't want to jinx it, but 18 days down so far, We'll see how that uh, goes for the remaining days. My glucose has been great this week. The average for the week, as you know, I wear a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor. So my average for the week has been 117. That's average over the 24-7 for the entire week. Now, average of 117 equates to about an A1C of 5.5 which is at the very low end of the pre-diabetic range. I'll take that any time. My body fat percentage, when I stepped on the scale last, this uh, past Sunday, before we left to come down here, was 27.3%. And uh, that's another thing that I track. I track that instead of my weight. You'll learn more about that in a future episode. So as part of my week in review, I like to go over wins and challenges, things like that. And for this week, I really want to say it's grocery shopping. Now that might seem strange, but you know, we're traveling, we're away and it's pretty easy just to go to restaurants all the time because you don't have to cook. You don't have to clean. It's time to relax. We travel quite frequently. So if I went out to restaurants all the time, number one, that'd be quite expensive, but also I have less of a chance of eating things that are helpful to me because I don't know how they were made. And sometimes some of those menu options are pretty enticing, even though it might not be the best. So for this week, we did a lot of grocery shopping when we got here. And we did go out to restaurants a couple times so far and probably will go out again before we leave. But um, making most of my meals here in the villa, I have been able to uh, stay right on track. Okay, that was my weekend review. So let's move on. Let's talk about three news articles that I came across. Okay, so the first article is talking about walking after meals. It's entitled, Walking After Meals for Just Two Minutes is Enough to Lower Blood Sugar. Here's why, according to science. So I think that's a little bit of a clickbait title. Two minutes, I think, would be the lower range of an effective walk. But it does say here that walking right after a meal can result in lower blood sugar levels. And it goes on to explain why that helps. And it's a very interesting article. It says, even among those who do not have diabetes, exposure to chronic high levels of sugar can increase risk of heart disease and type 2 diabetes down the road. So that's a pretty common piece of information. 
And it says here, for the biggest health benefits, aim to walk within 60 to 90 minutes after you finish a meal. That's for most people when blood sugar peaks. And it says that two to five minutes even notices a little bit of a difference. But of course, a little bit of a longer walk can be even more helpful. So that's an interesting article. The links will be in the show notes, of course. The second article here that I came across was entitled, Researchers Identify Multiple Causal Genes That Drive Type 2 Diabetes Risk. Now, this article is what I call very sciencey. It does link to the full study, but what they have been doing is identifying genes that they think actually increase a person's risk for type 2 diabetes. Again, you can get a lot of details in the actual article that it links to. It's a very uh, short write-up here. And it makes sense that diabetes can be genetic. I know, for example, my wife eats a whole lot more sugar than I do and really doesn't get the movement in at the levels that I do, yet her blood glucose is absolutely perfect. Nothing she eats or does seems to move it a bit. So that's fabulous for her. I didn't get so lucky, and I guess I might have some of these genes that increase my risk, but I have found that lifestyle can make a huge difference. So even for those of us with maybe some of these not-so-lucky genes can benefit from lifestyle activities and, and eating things that help us. The third article that I came across this week that I thought you'd find interesting, it's entitled, Seven Healthy Lifestyle Habits May Reduce Dementia Risk for People with Diabetes. Now here, once again, we do know that people with type 2 diabetes do tend to have a higher chance of getting dementia. And they have found here in this study, now this is a British study, they followed over 7,000 people. And so it's fairly extensive. Uh, it's a multi-year study here, but they did find that there were habits, and we know some of those habits, but there were habits that helped people, even though they did have type 2 diabetes, reduce their risk of dementia. So if that's of interest to you, I encourage you to uh, look at this article as well. And again, the links for all three of these articles will be in the show notes over on the website, solvingtype2diabetes.com. So I encourage you to check them out. Okay, so let's get to the main topic for this week, and it is my own backstory. I wanted to share with you something about myself to let you know a little bit about who I am what I've gone through with this diagnosis of type 2 diabetes and uh, where I think I'm headed. So primarily, my biggest identifiers are husband, father, and grandfather. Those are the things that bring me the most joy in my life and those relationships and family. And so that's my main central focus. Now, I have had a working career as well. I retired in uh, 2020 from a 35-year federal career. I first started enlisted service with the United States Air Force. That was uh, very exciting, seven years in the Air Force. And then I got out of the service and finished my college education. And then I got my first civilian job with the U.S. Census Bureau. And I remember when they came on campus, they were the only employer that I interviewed with who could guarantee me to start work the Monday after I graduated. And I needed the income. I was married. I had kids. 
And my job while I was in school was a co-op uh, internship of sorts. And that income was going to stop the Friday before graduation. And the Census Bureau guaranteed me work the Monday thereafter. So absolutely, I signed up, I moved to Maryland and was with the Census Bureau for just over a decade. And uh, very interesting work, started there as a computer programmer. And I ended up my career, the final 12 years, with the FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. I'm sure you've seen those stickers at your bank, your money's insured. And uh, so that was a very rewarding time, very interesting work. I did project management for them in information technology, writing software for bank examinations, and it was uh, very rewarding. Throughout my entire life, really, I've been overweight. I got a little bit of a handle on it while I was active duty in the Air Force, but really it's been in an ongoing struggle. And up until recently, I, I honestly only focused on weight and was it up or was it down and really not other risk factors. But my weight probably peaked somewhere between 2005 and 2009. And I know that at one point I did reach 300 pounds or just shy of 300 pounds. And that, that freaked me out when I saw that in the scale. I knew I was very overweight. Sometimes until you see that, you really don't grasp the situation. So that did, you know, shock me a little bit. And I began trying multiple diets and they would fail or succeed and go up and down and up again. And I did have a gradual, a very slow weight loss, probably starting in about 2010. And between now and then, the past 12 years, I am down a little bit over 80 pounds. And now you might think that's taking an awful long time, 12 years to lose 80 pounds. And it is, it's an average loss of seven pounds each year. But it wasn't just a gradual, slow decline. It generally went down, but there were months where it would be going up and then down and then up and then down. It just depended on how much I was paying attention, how sick of it I got. And quite frankly, it, it's really frustrating because I really didn't have any information on how to do it properly or what was healthy. I just tried every little thing that came along and, and tacked enough together to, to drop the 80 pounds over the course of 12 years. I'm currently about 217. And in a future episode, I'll explain why I really don't care about body weight for my tracking and why I focus on body fat percentage as part of what I track. So stay tuned for that. That'll be a future episode while we'll get into why body fat percentage might be a more helpful thing to track. So regarding my diagnosis, I first was diagnosed with pre-diabetes in 2000. Now, as part of a routine doctor's visit, I got blood work done and they took the fasting blood glucose, and it was about 105, I believe. And I really remember this visit because she said, you have prediabetes, my doctor. She said, you have prediabetes. Now you must choose between dinner rolls or potatoes. That literally was the sum total of the medical advice she gave me. I remember that distinctly, looking back now, how, I don't know, ridiculously insufficient that was as far as medical consultation. But regardless, so she said that. I thought about it maybe for a total of two seconds and then really didn't do anything to help myself for several years. So things didn't get better. So eventually in 2010, I got the actual diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. Uh, my doctor at the time, different doctor, 
you know, had me do an A1C. It was elevated, went back three months later, did another A1C test. It was still elevated. So I got the official diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. And that doctor started me on metformin. Now, metformin's a very common first-line drug with type 2 diabetes. Uh, it's usually the first drug they prescribe. But again, still no education or anything that came along with it. Evidently, the doctor and I both thought metformin was going to be a miracle cure and just solve it all by itself. And then I started feeling this tingling or needles in my toes. And I looked that up and it turns out that's a form of neuropathy, often a side effect of having type 2 diabetes. So continue on a couple of years. Metformin's not doing a whole lot. Uh, and I was diagnosed in 2012 with metabolic syndrome. So that's just a combination of things, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, being overweight, type 2 diabetes. And obviously things were looking not good. Still, I got to say, not really any education for doctors. But I did start reading a lot myself, started self-experimentation with food and movement. But I have to say, in 22 years of dealing with this, I really only ever encountered one doctor who even bothered to spend time explaining this disease and that it was up to me to solve it and that it was solvable. Now, I only saw her twice before she moved out of state, but I got to tell you, I still value our sessions together. She planted the seeds 10 years ago that are they're really bearing fruit with me today. So I'm always going to appreciate that. My own experimentation showed that for me, very low carbohydrate and movement helped. Something I did find out is that those good results can go away just with going back to eating too many carbohydrates or stopping intentional movement. It was frustrating because it was really hard to just keep up. I would think I was doing okay, but not really know for sure. And I still needed more tools. And without them, it was easy to move back into the unhelpful eating habits. So eating the junk and not moving caused adding Farsiga in 2021. Yet another doctor looking at my A1C decided to add Farsiga. And now about this same time, I saw an ad for a continuous glucose monitor on Instagram, a CGM. So I started wearing one myself in June of 2021. And that, coupled with the knowledge I had gained and the medications I was on, finally, I had all the tools I needed for success. It's been a rough ride of ups and downs over the past 22 years. But now I think I'm seeing the light. It will never be over, but now at least I'm managing my disease. For the past several months, I'm consistently using my medications, helpful, low-carb foods, consistent movement, and the 24-7 glucose monitoring with great success. My A1C is now routinely between the low end of prediabetes and high normal. And I'm happy with that. Let's look at your questions. Now, this is our third episode, and we actually have our very first question, which I'm really happy about. And if you would like to ask a question, leave a comment or feedback, just head over to solvingtype2diabetes.com, click on feedback, and there you can just enter it, and I will get an email right away, and then I can get your question answered or address your feedback. That'd be great. So, this week's question is. 
how do I get an A1C blood test? So this listener goes on to explain that they don't know. Let me say, I know of two ways. There might be others, but two basic ways. The first off, and this is what I recommend, is that you sit down with your doctor and discuss it. On your next regular office visit, ask them about getting an A1C blood test. Explain that you know that 10% of the people are affected by type 2 diabetes, and you just want to see where your levels are. Now, your doctor might just suggest getting a fasting blood sugar test, which, you know, is fine. That tells you how your blood sugar was in the moment. And I guess for someone pre-diagnosed, that's pretty normal. But the A1C test, what I call the gold standard, gives you a 90-day average of your blood glucose level. So that is really effective in telling how you are over the long term and not just at one particular moment in time. But if your doctor says, hey, this is not for you, or no, I don't recommend it, then you can, in fact, get A1C blood tests over the counter. I've seen them in Walmart. I've seen them in drugstores. They tend to cost, I think, between 50 or 100 bucks. But you can get it yourself. You don't need anyone's permission. And if you're only going to do it once to see where you are, or maybe once every six months, 50 bucks once every six months for you could be a good investment. But that's for you to decide. But thanks again for that question. Please send in more questions, and we'll be happy to answer them here. Okay, so what's coming up next? Obviously, next week, I'll also go over my week in review. But the main topic for next week is my goals. What are my goals? Why am I doing this? What am I hoping to achieve? And I'm not talking about the podcast. I'm talking about the interventions that I'm taking with my type 2 diabetes. So I'd like to look into that with you and see where I think I'm going to be with this down the road. So that should be interesting. At least I hope it's going to be interesting. Also, and this is going to be a biggie, next week we're going to be cruising on the Disney Wish. It's Disney's newest cruise ship. I'm looking forward to sharing my experience on the ship, especially as it relates to living with my type 2 diabetes. I'll get a chance to talk about how I can manage to eat properly, eat things that are helpful to me while cruising, and we cruise quite often, so it's, it's important for me to get that right. Also, my movement, the type of movement that's available on a cruise ship, I happen to know they have a really nice gym, so I'll be exploring that. Also looking to do some walking. Might have to run in a treadmill, depending on what their facilities look like. But all in all, it should be interesting to talk to you about cruising with type 2 diabetes on the Disney Wish. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I hope you found it valuable. Please follow and leave a five-star review as it helps other people find the podcast. By subscribing, you ensure you won't miss the next episode. You can always get a full transcript of the episode at SolvingType2Diabetes.com. There, you will also find the links to leave feedback and links to follow on social media. I'm very interested in hearing from you with comments and suggestions. Thanks very much for listening. Please remember that everything I share is just from my own personal experience and should not be taken as medical or health advice. Please consult your own medical professionals. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only.